Welcome to Making Sense of EU, a podcast where scientific research sheds light on the pressing issues of EU affairs. Making Sense of EU is brought to you by the Institut de Tout Européen of the Université Libre de Bruxelles. This series on inequality and the European Union is a product of the Jean Monnet Center of Excellence EU Qualis and is co-funded by the European Union. My name is Maria Isabel Soldevila, and I am your host. Making sense of EU. Many, many thanks to all of you for joining us as we try to make sense of the EU. This is the first podcast of our series on inequality and the European Union. And I am very happy to welcome today our two distinguished guests, Amadine Crespi, Professor in Political Science and Scientific Lead of our Jean Monnet Center of Excellence, EU Qualis, and Chloé Brière, Professor in European Law and Director of the Center for European Law at the ULB. Welcome to Making Sense of EU to both of you. Hello. Hi. When we think about the European Union, inequality is probably not the first concept that comes to mind. So what's at stake? Why choosing this topic to be the overarching theme of the EU Quality Center of Excellence? It's true that from a global perspective, Europe is still um, the region in the world where the level of inequality is the lowest. However, this question has really risen to the top of the European political agenda over the past few years or even the past decade. And the reason for that is that in 2020, um, we had 22% of the European population at risk of poverty of social exclusion. And that's about uh, 96.5 million people. Um, across Europe, so that's huge. Um, in terms of the geographical distribution of those inequalities and, and of poverty, again, um, they are unequal in the way, uh, in the sense that um, we're uh, founding the lowest uh, levels of um, development and welfare in the east of the continent. Uh, Bulgaria, Romania have very high levels of poverty and inequality, uh, but also in the south, in Greece, in Spain, um, in the Baltic region, Lithuania, Estonia, but also, and that's uh, perhaps more surprising, um, in very wealthy countries. Germany, for instance, ranks um, seventh out of all European countries uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, people at risk of poverty. So this means that there really is a problem in the way um, that um, the wealth um, and welfare are distributed both within uh, European countries but also um, across them. Um, and so, of course, here, um, the overarching um, perspective or topic uh, is really that of social inequality in terms of um, income, uh, in terms of poverty, in terms of social exclusion. Uh, but that's only the broad framework. Uh, within that, we're looking at uh, many other uh, and perhaps more specific forms of inequality. Yeah, and for instance, we, we build on the existing uh, legal framework at EU level and vast uh, corpus of text, case law and instrument that exists to address uh, inequalities on the basis of gender, for instance, with all this EU anti-discrimination text, uh, but also the uh, question of inequalities and differences among categories of, of migrants. And the idea is to build on this existing, well-established field of discussions and research to expand and uh, delve into new um, 
discussions, new forms of inequalities that were not necessarily um, uh, envisaged uh, in the EU um, in the EU before. For instance, we we want to address the question of inequalities in relation to environmental protection or trend, uh, environmental transition with this idea that the uh, transition towards a more green um, EU uh, will have potentially a differentiated impact on the populations and thus the need for public participation in making sure that everyone's uh, voice is heard when big decisions are taken on uh, environmental protection. And similarly, we have um, uh, emerging discussions about how different grounds of inequality, genders, age, socioeconomic status, etc., may uh, reinforce each other. And you have uh, an emerging discussion about intersectionality and the fact that you need to address these questions all at once and not only through uh, isolated uh, lens or isolated measures. And that's also uh, another reason for uh, going a bit beyond the classic approach of uh, inequality. But when I hear you, I think this is such a complex reality that needs to be analyzed through different disciplines, different aspects, um, different expertise. So Chloe, uh, what are the different perspectives taken into account uh, at this center of excellence EU qualis to be able to grasp this problem of inequality in the European Union? As Amandi mentioned, it's a, an issue that concerns almost all EU countries and therefore there is a, a need for a reflection at EU level to see what the Europe can, can, can eventually do and whether EU policies may help to reduce inequalities or whether they may indirectly um, foster inequalities. Um, and it can, con it can be addressed through, through various disciplines and topics. Uh, the Center of Excellence is an interdisciplinary uh, center of excellence. So we have a team of uh, scholars from law, political science, but also health. And we're going to approach uh, the question of inequalities in the EU from various perspectives. Uh, we have uh, lawyers, for instance, who are specialized on anti-discrimination law, which is a form of inequality between men and women, for instance, where you have a big uh, corpus of uh, uh, legal instruments and legal text. And that's one way to approach it. But we try to go beyond this classic approach. And we have also scholars addressing inequalities in the internal market or, for instance, exploring the digital divide between EU uh, populations. And we try to address it from various perspectives. We have um, scholars um, addressing unequal access to health, but also uh, addressing the impact of inequalities in terms of um, protection against environmental damages. And so we have a series of activities conducted by various uh, scholars uh, addressing all these dimensions. There's a tradition at the Institute, which is one of the first centers of excellence, uh, Jean Monnet centers of excellence in Europe, of dealing with issues, societal issues in the European Union. Our latest one was uh, dedicated to solidarity and this one to inequality. Is there a connection between the two? Is there uh, lessons learned that brought us to thinking about inequality? How do you see the center fit in what the Institute does, Amandine? Well, it's a continuation of this previous Jean Monnet uh, Center of Excellence, which was led uh, by Anne Weyenberg and Ramona Koman. And um, in this previous project, the scholars involved and the whole community was looking really into how the concept of solidarity appeared so many times in the 
legal uh, body, in a legal corpus of the European Union, um, but how also it was in many respects ambiguous. And so the issue was about what solidarity meant, uh, but also in some ways how we could detect a lack, the, a lack of solidarity in various uh, policy areas, in various respects. So um, EU Qualis is trying to go one step forward and uh, look into this lack of solidarity and how it translates uh, into various and multiple forms of inequality. And from your perspective, Chloe, how do you see the connection between the two? I think the, the link between the previous project and the current one can be best uh, uh, illustrated with an example, and I'll try to, to give one uh, briefly. Um, in the context of the previous project uh, with Anne Weyenberg, we had worked about the uh, criminalization of solidarity, how people who help migrants uh, are prosecuted and convicted on the basis of an ambiguity in the legal frameworks, both at EU level but also at, at national levels. And the, um, the topic of inequality can arise here because we see that depending on the status of the migrants, their um, socioeconomic status, but also whether um, depending on the country they come from or the qualification they possess, their access to the EU uh, territory and a right to residence in the EU is completely uh, different. And that's a topic that uh, can be best explored through the lens of uh, inequality uh, it echoes uh, debates within the legal literature about like, the importance of the socio-economic status for the free movement of persons and EU citizens. And it's also something that is very much discussed when we discuss the status of refugees and the fact that, for instance, depending on the country you're coming from, your, your access to protection within the EU may uh, vary a lot. Ajamone Center of Excellence is something very specific, very special. People might not really understand what it means. Uh, it, it's different from other EU projects that are more focused on research, for instance. And one of the things, the concrete outputs already of Ajamone Center of Excellence EU Qualis is the Ideas Conference. So maybe let's speak a little bit about that experience, the objective of the conference and, and the perspectives for future uh, ideas conferences uh, in the years to come. The purpose of this conference was really focused on gathering scholars working in an interdisciplinary manner, so scholars from law, political science, political economy, history, from all over Europe, uh, to gather them in Brussels to really focus across various panels with specific topics uh, on this very topic and see uh, what the latest uh, developments had been in the research. Besides academic presentations, we also hosted a policy panel in coordination with the Foundation for European Progressive Studies, FEPS, that brought together practitioners also to discuss uh, especially the green transition. And Chloe, can you tell us a little bit about this idea of bringing together also people from the field? Well, the idea, and that's behind all centers of excellences that have been hosted at the Institute, is also to not only, as you said, foster research, but also try to build bridges with other uh, communities, other publics. Like uh, we are in Brussels, and so we have uh, the possibility to invite more easily maybe uh, EU civil servants or persons working on EU-related issues within the EU bubble. And so the idea is to try to bring to light new discussions and to try to um, support ongoing reflections, not only in academia, but also beyond. And the policy panel had this purpose to um, 
allow a timely discussion on the issue of just transition, which is one of the flagship initiatives of the um, European Commission and EU institution in context of the EU Green Deal. And the idea was to um, use this occasion to reflect on how this uh, green transition uh, may need to take into account the inequalities that may come with a green transition, the highest uh, cost of energy, the differences in access to environmental friendly uh, products or uh, consumption goods. And the idea was really to try to have uh, an open uh, discussions with persons who have different views. We um, mixed up, uh, I would say, uh, people representing the uh, view of the EU Commission, but also with people who are engaged in this discussion from the FEPS, but also from ETUI, but also academics. And that was really, the, the I think, one of the main um, highlight of this policy panel, that we had people, which were all uh, very well informed on the issue of just transition, but with different perspectives. And they managed to have a, a discussion that allowed us in the audience to have a very clear view of what could be the different ways to approach that question. Do you want to add something? Yeah, in this regard, I think it was really interesting to see what the conflict lines were. The discussion was very um, open and and very indicative of also the critical reflections that were expressed at what the European Commission and the other institutions are doing currently. Another highlight was the keynote by Olivier Descuteurs, who really presented uh, a panorama of inequality in the European Union. If you maybe want to explain a little bit to our listeners what the main points were that were discussed in the keynote. Yeah, I think it was an absolutely fascinating keynote and we've seen that also with the number of questions and comments uh, that were expressed after his keynote and a very lively discussion that the audience had with Olivier de Scutter. It was an extremely informative talk about um, the rise of poverty and its many manifestations in Europe. And one of the key takeaways that I remember from the talk was also a new light shed on the discrimination against uh, poor people. So a new form of discrimination in the sense that poverty is not only the outcome of discrimination, but in many ways it can also be the cause that poor people are facing many, many obstacles uh, in their professional life, in their integration into society as a whole uh, because of the discrimination that society uh, exerts um, against them because they are poor to start with. Yeah, and what I also appreciated a lot in this guest lecture was also like a, a very um, well-argumented discussion around the concept of meritocracy and its limits. Uh, the idea that behind this concept of meritocracy that supposedly gives everyone an equal chance, there are in the background other factors, other elements that in fact tend to reproduce inequalities. And I really liked also the, the discussion because it showed also for us as academics, but also for our students, that behind this issue of meritocracy and equality of chances through education, uh, you have all the elements, all the factors that may impair like, and reproduce social inequalities, uh, both in, uh, at university and beyond. One of the great outcomes of IDEAS is a new collaboration with the European Law Journal uh, to uh, put together a Best Paper Award. This is, uh, this is something also new for the Institute, and it's a great deliverable, if I can say so in European project terms, of the IDEAS conference. Can you tell us a little bit about what the collaboration is all about? 
Yeah, so this is a kind of win-win partnership where the European Law Journal is obviously interested in publishing one excellent paper coming out from this conference. And we can also, you know, give perhaps an incentive to the scholars who come to the conference and say, okay, if your paper is really elaborated, is really mature and, and ready to be published, then we can offer this. And um, this is especially relevant because over the years, the European Law Journal has become not only a legal uh, journal as such, but a more interdisciplinary journal, which um, constitutes a venue for scholars to have a broader intellectual debate about what's going on in the European Union. So we're really, really proud of it and uh, proud uh, of the first winners, of course. And the Best Paper Award and the Ideas Conference are also a relaunch of the traditional biannual conference around the European Union that we share with our sister university, the VUB, that they organize one year the European Union International Affairs, and now for us, it's Ideas. Chloe, maybe a little bit about what to expect for the next Ideas. This next year is going to be EUIA year, and in 24, it's Ideas, if I get it right. The ULB and the Institute have developed a strong collaboration with the VUB and the University of Warwick as well, who are our partners for the Ideas uh, conference. Uh, and the idea is, as you said, to abstain from organizing another conference next year because there is the uh, EU in international affairs. I'm sure many scholars from the ULB will also go and attend it. In 2024, we will organize the second edition of the Ideas Conference. Uh, the idea is uh, to use it as a way to conclude, in a way, the Center for Excellence that will run for three years and to offer, once again, an opportunity for scholars from various perspectives, from various dis disciplines, sorry, uh, to come back to Brussels and to continue the exchanges that we started uh, this year. I have a question for both of you, so feel free to, to interact on it. I'm sure people are wondering how they can take part of the Center of Excellence. I mean, this is something that can involve students, researchers, non-academic partners. How can the IE community participate in the different activities organized by EU Qualis? Well, there will be a number of specific activities directed at our students. Um, so, for instance, uh, we will have um, EU law clinics. Uh, we will have also activities um, organized for the broader academic community at ULB, for instance, an exhibition on migrations. Uh, we will have a number of um, dissemination um, activities. Um, so I think that the communication and the visibility of the project will be good enough for everybody to, to be able to hear about it and take part and learn about the outcomes at some point. We'll try. <laughs> Chloe, anything you want to say to your own students, for instance? There will be plenty of opportunities for, for the um, EU community to, to join uh, the activities of Equalis in the, in the coming years. Uh, as an example, in the autumn already, we have uh, uh, two guest lectures that will be organized and open to students, but also to the general audience uh, by uh, two uh, colleagues that will address the issue of inequalities in access to health and inequalities in um, the field of environmental protection. So it would be a continuation in a way to the, some of the debates that were initiated in the IDS conference. And we have a whole series of um, activities as uh, uh, Amandine mentioned, the exhibition, 
Uh, and the EU also regularly hosts uh, events and, and, uh, and um, forums for discussion, so I'm sure uh, the topic of inequalities will uh, pop in once, uh, will pop in regularly in our, in our events. So I think we have a teaser for next year, for this academic year 22-23, lectures on different topics that are uh, in one way or another representing this interdisciplinarity. Um, there are main lines of thought. We're thinking about the environment, we're thinking about health, we're thinking about poverty, uh, the right of migration, the, the internal market. Are there other themes that people can expect to, to see and to hear about in the upcoming years with the, within the EU Qualis uh, Center of Excellence? Yes, so of course our attention goes uh, also particularly to what the EU institutions as such are doing, for instance, in the field of social regulation, so the social policy action of the European Union. Um, so this concerns, for instance, um, a series of legislative initiatives. Um, I can mention, for instance, um, you know, directives like um, the, the one on minimum wages or the directive on uh, work-life balance. There's also an ongoing initiative being negotiated about the regulation of the social rights of platform workers, so uh, people working for Deliveroo and Uber and these kind of um, things that are really um, topical and burning issues in terms of social rights and inequality at European scale. Uh, right now. And so this is, will also be considered in a broader perspective about um, social citizenship at European level. Can we consider that we do have something like a, a proper, genuine social dimension of um, European citizenship beyond, you know, just the right of free movement and the right to vote in the European Parliament election? Um, so that will be for sure a very, very exciting uh, uh, avenue for our coming research. Thank you very much for this conversation, Amandine Crespi and Chloé Brière, and thanks to all of you for joining us today. We promise to keep trying to make sense of the EU as we continue the conversation on inequality from the perspective of the environment, of health, of the EU's external action, among many other topics. Don't forget to sign up and stay tuned. Making sense of EU.